Hi, this is Coach John Cantero. Make sure you tune into my show Monday through Friday. We're going to be talking a lot about Major League Baseball. Stepping on home plate right now. This program is sponsored and produced by Wilsey Asset Management. Opinions and offers expressed during this program are not those of Intercom Communications or 97.3 The Fan. Welcome to your commercial-free, uninterrupted investment show. Sponsored by the SEC-registered investment firm, Wilsey Asset Management, a fiduciary firm owned and operated by President Brent Wilsey, who has been putting clients' investment needs first for over 40 years. The Smart Investing Show has been giving unbiased financial information for over 27 years on local radio stations right here in San Diego, providing you with fundamental analysis on stocks and investments you want to know about. Now, here are your hosts... Brent and Chase Wilsey. Well, good morning and welcome to Smart Investing Show. Yes, I am Brent Wilsey, and thank you for joining us this morning. Uh, been doing the Smart Investing Show here in San Diego on local radio for actually over 27 years now. Uh, the show is designed so if you have an investment question or want a fundamental analysis on a stock you own or looking at buying, selling, or holding, please call in at 833 288 zero nine seven three again that's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three and as always that i get you through for your unbiased no strings attached fundamental opinion about what you want to talk about and good morning chase how are you doing this morning good morning good good to be here always quite an interesting week that we have we like to kind of uh, summarize some highlights of the past week uh, before we do take the calls, we generally take the calls around 9.15, 9.20, depending on how in-depth we get into these topics. And we do try to pull out. And uh, throughout the week, we actually do uh, on social media, uh, on our Facebook group page, uh, Smart Investing with Brent and Chase Wilsey, uh, we do about 10, 12 posts uh, each week uh, of important stuff. So what we try to do here is just kind of summarize the highlights for you. And it's funny, Chase, I was at the restaurant the other day, and I pulled up, and the guy goes, I see your post. I love your post. I just found them. They're so great. They're so informative easy to read, uh, informative. I like them. I'm so glad I found them. Yeah, I mean, we enjoy doing them, too. And as you said, it's not like a whole newsletter. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we, 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 we put numbers in there, too. So it's not just, oh, I think this. And, oh, COVID's going to kill everyone. <laughs> right. And, you know, the, you see a lot of that on Facebook. We, we try and, you know, put out some different things. And, you know, for the most part, it, I'd say about 99% of them are investment-related. So yes. <laughs> <laughs> there are other things about the economy and, and things of that nature. Yeah, we'll, well. we'll try to post some other things that maybe kind of uh, uh, get your, 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 your juices, your, your, your thought juices kind of going, think about different topics that may be a little bit controversial. We'll kind of do that uh, for you a little bit, but just to kind of help you think and get the brain going a little bit. But uh, what's, what's great about the Smart Investing with Brent Chase Wilsey page is that when you sign up for it, you get notified whenever you do a post as opposed to the other ones you do not. Yeah, and it's uh, completely open. I believe we might have to approve it if somebody signs up for it, but yeah, we pretty much prove everyone as long as you are <laughs> not out of control. <laughs> <laughs> right. yeah. I, you, you know, and, and we, you're, you're right. And I, I don't know how many thousands of people are on that, but uh, we do approve it for everyone. I don't think I've ever had to take anybody off. I mean, most of the time people are, although I do get other people want to kind of advertise on it. I get that. I, I, I say, no, we're not going to do that. But um, anyways, l l let's talk about uh, last week. Uh, concerns continue. We want to keep pointing this out because we don't uh, want to have anybody ever say no one told me the market was high <laughs> i had no reason i didn't understand this so i know and uh you know we, we always we, we keep talking about it and it's like oh they've been wrong for the last three weeks and you know the last few weeks and again we're not investing for weeks we're investing for right. years and the, the big thing is you could be wrong for you know a few months even mm -hmm. maybe even a year or two years but we're looking over the next five ten 
15 years because investing is a long-term game. It's not about trying to win in the short term. Yep. So, so let's talk about uh, another angle to kind of look at it for you. Concerns again over the S&P 500 as it continues to grow. Well, recently the five largest stocks, Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, and Alphabet made up nearly 30% of the entire index. And the bottom 50 made up just 1%. What's up with that? Yeah, and, and that's the thing, too. I, I keep telling people, oh, the S&P 500 is great because you get such diversification. You really don't. I mean, as you just said, five companies make up 30%, and 50 companies make up 1%. Now think about that. So that means those bottom 50 companies, wow, they could go up astronomically, and those top five maybe go down. Well, the index isn't going to do so hot if the bottom 50 do great and the top five do terrible. Yep. In fact, it, it could go down if those top five go down enough and the others do okay. Yeah, because of the weighting, and that's what people don't understand, the weighting of it. And then people say, well, what about the, uh, and I forget what it's called, where the equal weighted index? Mm -hmm. yeah, they're what, negative 13% or something year to date or something? Yeah, they, they were down about 10, 13% yeah. in, in that range. Uh, don't have the uh, close of yesterday, but uh, yeah, during the week they were down about 13% while the S&P 500 was pretty much flat. Yeah. So, I mean, it really shows, again, the divide between saying, well, the reason the S&P 500 is doing well is because of the tech sector, because of those top five companies. I mean, it is just completely out of control. And really almost, if you're buying the S&P 500, you're pretty much just buying a technology ETF <laughs> at this point. I think it's about 40, 50% yeah. <laughs> is actually what the tech sector plus Amazon and Netflix and Google, because it's very interesting. If you look at the breakdown of the sectors, well, actually, Amazon's in consumer discretionary, but they're definitely a technology company. Yeah. So you have to kind of include that in the tech index. Uh, I also believe that Netflix and Google are considered communication companies. Well, they're definitely technology companies as well, especially if you consider how much they're skewing the index. Right. So if you incorporate those companies into the uh, tech sector, I mean, it just gets completely out of control. And you are not diversified into financials, energy. Uh, consumer discretionary, consumer cyclical, you don't have that in the S&P 500 index when you invest into it. And, and you brought up about uh, Google and I think Facebook becoming communication companies. Uh, it, it's kind of like they're changing the game a little bit. Like, oh, no, no, they're not technology. They're communication companies. So they're trying to make it look better by moving things around. I don't know who does that or has the capability. I guess it's some... I think it's S&P. S&P, yeah. So, so they, and again, you've got to understand the rules and they kind of change the rules. Like, okay, well now, don't worry, that's not technology company, communication company but it still accounts for overall uh, a big part of the percent. The other thing that happened, oh, go ahead. Oh, you go ahead first. Well, I was going to say the other thing that happened last week that, again, shows the craziness of the market. Uh, Elon Musk, and it is now back to below, but Elon Musk, his net worth surpassed Warren Buffett's, I believe it was like Wednesday or Thursday. <laughs> uh, it has come back down by about a few billion, but just shows, again, another crazy thing going on. Elon Musk has you know, nothing and, uh, you know, one one car company virtually and I guess the solar. He's got SpaceX. SpaceX, too. But. but, I mean, here Warren Buffett has this big conglomerate of many different companies and his what net worth Warren Buffett was surpassed by Elon Musk this past week. We'll, so we'll see what happens that race going forward. Uh, I'm, I'm interested to see that as well. <laughs> but I was going to say, uh, you know, kind of talking a little bit more detail about the uh, tech thing, uh, the tech companies, is we actually did see a little bit of a slowdown and actually a shift a little bit more away from technology to some of the other businesses, the, the value type businesses this week. I think that trend will continue over the long term. I mean, again, it might switch back and forth over the next mm -hmm. few weeks. But long term, I, I do think value will come out on the other side the winner. I mean, it, it has 
time and time again over history. Right. And, and actually this past week, uh, and again, we don't talk performance about our portfolio on, on the show, but I will say a couple of days we noticed a very interesting phenomenon where, oh, the and actually I think I was on, I was on TV yesterday. They go, oh, well, the market was down yesterday. I go, well, that was, but we weren't. You know, so s more reality will come back into play. And again, is it tomorrow, next week, next month, next year? We don't know, but it, it will come back. It always does. That's the, just the mean. So speaking of technology, let's talk about the Netflix. They had a strong year getting over 50% in 2020. Uh, it has been part of the home trend. Everybody knows that. Oh, let's get Netflix because we can't go anywhere. But trading at over 50 times, uh, 55 times next year's earnings, uh, you just can't handle that. We've known this for a long time. Uh, the company has reported subscribers, net subscribers of 15.6 million in Q1 and 10.1 million in Q2, but it doesn't look good beyond that, does it? I mean, yeah, and, and, and the numbers are, are quite phenomenal, and I'm not going to say they're not, uh, but you got to think about, of course, people staying at home. Yeah. Uh, there's not much to do, so yeah, I guess I'll try out Netflix. I mean, for all of 2019, they had 27.8 million net subscriber additions, so they pretty much did that in the first half of the year. But it's just not going to be a sustainable trend. They're not going to continue to get over 10 million subscribers. And in fact, the stock was down yesterday quite substantially because what happened was analysts were looking for net ex uh, subscriber expectations for Q3 of 5.27 million. The company guided just 2.5 million net subscribers. And what has actually happened is of course you're going to run out of people that can actually buy Netflix, <laughs> <laughs> or you're going to have people. That, I'm I'm kind of tired of Netflix. I don't really need it anymore, so they'll start to drop off. That hurts the net subscriber additions. And what I think is going to happen, you pulled forward all that demand into Q1, Q2. I think you could see Q3, Q4. Maybe that's okay, but going forward, it's going to be harder and harder to grow. And we talked about this a lot with companies during the tech boom. We talked about you know Cisco. They had to have routers for everyone right. to justify that <laughs> multiple. Almost seems that's the way Netflix is going. Or the other thing that they say is, well, they'll increase prices and that'll justify the multiple. I know if Netflix increased prices, I, I, I would drop it. And actually, I share it with my roommate. So, right. <laughs> I, I, And I, I'm probably one of the few people in America that doesn't watch Netflix. I have it. I think my son watches it, but I've not watched it probably in a month or two. Uh, I still, there's some things on demand from my cable company I like to watch. But, you know, and I tried Netflix a little bit. It was good, and I got too damn confusing. It's just like it was just so much. So, so but, many options. Yeah, so many options. Yeah, I was like, ah, that's too hard. Uh, kind of like going to a store with a ten thousand different options, you walk out with nothing. So, but uh, the other thing I was wondering too with Netflix, we talk about them raising the prices here. One thing I've never seen, and we we don't dive that deep into it because we don't own the company, is they talk about international growth. Are they charging people like in I don't know where India, that, India, and so forth? Are they charging them thirteen dollars a month? I don't. I don't believe so. What do you think? I, I don't think so. And I, I remember looking at the international profit margins, uh, and I, I believe they were substantially lower than the United States. And I don't know if that was because they didn't have the, the ability to kind of capitalize on, on larger numbers. But I also just don't see, like, how do you make new content for India, for these right. different countries? Like, you have to change everything. The platform True. should be different because it's a different language. And personally, I don't like to watch, you know, movies in other languages because you're watching the mouse and you have to read the whole time. It's like, I'll just read a book. So I don't know how they necessarily do it in other countries. I just actually don't own the company, but it's just something I've always thought about is, well, how does it work internationally? And, and what worries me is people say, oh yeah, you know, the subscribers here are up. And, they're, they're, and I think Netflix did talk about raising the prices next year. Uh, didn't give specifics, but they talked about that. But that would be here in the U.S. But then on the other side, they talk about, oh, international growth is growing. 
But what if they only charge international customers like India because they don't have a lot of money? What if they only charge them three, four, five dollars? You know, it's like, yeah, you're getting more subscribers, but what's the cost to you? You said the net profit margin is lower. They, these are things that investors must, must look at. It doesn't mean you're going to be right again tomorrow, but there are things you have to understand about the business and ask questions. And if you don't can't get the answers or don't get the right answers, you shouldn't blindly hold on to the stock. Yeah, and, and the thing that we've talked about with Netflix as well is the accounting's gotten a little mm -hmm. strange. And I knew you were going to bring that up. I, I knew the accounting's coming. Yeah, <laughs> and I, I, I don't, I don't want to dive into it too much today, but the numbers, if you look into detail, just the way they account for the amortization of the films, if you look at right now, the their content <sighs> spend, I think, is supposed to increase quite substantially next year. That's going to hurt you know, yeah. their, their earnings, but actually it's going to hurt their cash flow more than their earnings because of the way they account for it. So there, there's some strange things going on, but people don't care about that right now. All they care about is the subscriber growth. And this is the big problem I see. You, you had these two great quarters, and if a stock is not trading off the fundamentals and it's trading off something else, all of a sudden that subscriber growth goes away. Now nobody wants to hold that yep. because it's like, oh, wow, Netflix is not having that great of subscriber growth. Oh, wow, their earnings aren't great either. Their cash flow is not – who in the world wants this stock? Yeah. <laughs> you know? yeah. it, it's going to be a, a big, big problem if we do see a major slowdown in subscriber additions because that's how the stock has been trading. Yeah. And as you said, they trade it 55 times next year's earnings. Um, that that could – you cut that in half, still at 25, which is very high. You got, I, I'm ballparking at a stock now worth 250. So kind of a big drop. No, that could never happen. Well, if reality comes back in, it, it will happen. People didn't think uh, Qualcomm could go from, you know, a, sh a share adjusted, a uh, stock split adjusted. I think it was about $85, $90 a share down to 17 That's right. Huge, huge decline. So things can drop, and they can drop very, very quickly. Yep, yep. So let's, let's move on quickly before we take the calls. By the way, phone number is 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973. Uh, John, I do see you there. Be patient. We're going to come to you in a few minutes here, so just hang on there, John in San Diego. Uh, Chase, I do want to talk about before we go to the calls is retail sales. And this is very important because things are kind of changing. We're keeping our eye on the numbers here. Retail sales in June showed the economy was on track for a robust recovery. After that climb we had in, in May of 18.2%, June retail sales grew by 7.5% month over month, uh, beating expectations of 5%. I mean, this was an impressive number. And when you compare it to June 2019, it was even a better number to kind of look at because like, wow, it's another positive. Yeah, I mean, the, the year over year, as you said, we're in a pandemic in June 2019, we actually had 1.1% growth in June 2020 <laughs> compared to June 2019. I mean, that's just phenomenal. And, I mean, uh, May, again, was a record-breaking month-over-month increase. But, of course, we were coming off such a low base, you had to hope that yeah, we were going to see growth, an increase. Right. So, But I, I just like to look at the year-over-year -year increases because that, to me, tells me a lot more. So that was phenomenal to see. And it's always funny. When I actually look for these reports, it's very hard to find the year-over-year -year numbers. I don't know why. They always talk about the month-over-month. -month. I'm like, I want to see the year-over-year -year numbers. Yes, I think yes. that's so much more interesting. Yeah. And, and the other thing, too, that, that I noticed is that because uh, uh, I did the segment yesterday again on TV, and I noticed when I was talking about the numbers, that car sales really didn't participate that much. Actually, if we took out car sales, it, 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 I don't think it made any difference at all, if I remember correctly. But the car sales are having problems because they can't get the cars built. They can't get the parts and so forth. I, I think there's cars that are to be sold, but they can't sell them because I don't think, like like real estate, they don't have the inventory. We have a problem with the inventory getting stuff to be sold. Yeah, absolutely. Um, definitely a, a problem right now in terms yeah. of the sale. It could be even stronger if it was out there. 
Uh, but the other thing, too, that we looked at in this report, the, the phenomenal kind of areas, was gasoline spending was up 15.3% as people, I think, were tired of being locked down at home. Yeah. They wanted to get out and go drive places. Restaurants and bars, which were closed down for quite some time, they increased by 20%. And it has been interesting, kind of jumping off topic here, but it has been interesting to kind of go to restaurants right now and mm-hmm. dining outside. It's kind of... I don't know. It's kind of fun. Kind of fun. <laughs> it's I was in Europe. It was kind of nice yeah. eating on the sidewalk. Like, wow, why don't we do this in the U.S.? Well, now we're doing it. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, the the thing too is it it's going to hinder the retail sales a little bit. I think this month. Right. But uh, you know, it's not going to be a complete free dive like we saw in the month of March and April. So yeah. I, I think that's going to be be pretty nice. But the other big thing I saw here too, which was quite interesting, was non-store retailers. So you know, again, talking about this tech trend, like Amazon. Yeah. They actually did not participate in the gains, and the non-store retailers actually saw a decline in 2.4% in the month. I saw that number. I was surprised by that because uh, does it show that people are saying, I'm done buying online to some degree? We, we know it's never going to be gone, but that people are saying, I do like, and I believe this, I do believe people like going to shops more to shop. And by the way, retail stores like a Kohl's and so forth, they're still open. They didn't get closed down, just restaurants here it's in California. Indoor malls, I believe, are indoor the ones malls. that got closed down. Another benefit of having a standalone store, right? Yeah, it's going to be <laughs> interesting. Um, but, but yeah, and the thing, too, that I, I keep looking at is we've said it is brick and mortar I do not think is going to go away. It, right. It's just people are social beings. I mean, uh, online shopping is definitely here to stay and will probably still increase as it becomes more adopted. And definitely I think what's going to happen is you had, again, demand pulled forward here. But I think once we're through this, I think, people, oh, my gosh, get me out of the house. I'm ready yeah. to go back out and shop. I know personally. I was starting to get all my stuff on Amazon, like my my soap, my shampoo, my deodorant, right. all the personal stuff. I'm like, I don't need to go to the store for that. Now I'm like, oh, I, I want to go to the store. I don't have anything else to do. I'll go to the store. <laughs> you know, <laughs> ooh, shopping spree. Hey, how's it going? You get to see people, and <laughs> yeah. well, and actually that's true because remember during the, the the beginning back in what March, April, like, oh, I can't wait to go to Costco, or go to the grocery store, go shopping. I got something to do, you know. So <laughs> I mean, things are changing. I, and I, I I have no desire right now to get anything <laughs> online. I I want to go shop. In, in, in the actual store. And, you know, it's funny. We will get through this, as, as we always say. Well, people say, oh, it's, it's different this time. Eh, well, we, we will get through it. We'll figure this out. Um, but we are social beings. We like to go out. And even if it's just going out just to shop at the grocery store or just to go out and be shopping, there's people like to do that. I know people, some people are like, oh, I hate going shopping. You know, I hate going with the wife. Well, but that doesn't mean your wife doesn't want to go and other people. And they actually make events about it, you know. And, and as long as your retailers, your, your, your brick-and-mortar retailers are making an experience that people enjoy, they will go out. You're not going to go to the old Kmart that you won't remember this. Old Kmart I used to go to when I was like 12 years old. I mean, these bright lights, uh, you know, uh, linoleum f- uh, tile. It was terrible looking, but you went there because you had to. I mean, even Sears was pretty – yeah. Not exciting when you went there. Yeah, it was, it was just like a, a basic, you know, store with racks and clothes on there. And I feel like, like you're in an interrogation. <laughs> yeah, I mean, no experience or anything. Go buy what you want. So, so that is changing. And then also too, I, I do kind of worry a little bit about the malls because, uh, and I I like going to the malls. It was something to do. I think some malls will will falter because they can't do it, but other malls will will make it more of an experience of entertainment to go there. Well, and I, what I kind of look at too is you know your mall like UTC down here. 
Yeah. I mean, down in La Jolla area. I mean, that is so nice when you're just walking around outside. I do worry about the indoor malls, though. Yeah. I mean, the indoor malls, you kind of Unless you're there. back in New York, then it's a different story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But here in San Diego, it's like, why would you have an indoor mall? Yeah. You, you know, I mean, I guess if it's raining, it helps, but yeah. don't get many days like that here. It's like the outdoor malls, it's, it's again, a better experience. That I know they have, like, a playground there for the kids, and I guess the indoor mall, like Westfield up in Escondido area. It, it, it's okay on the inside, but I just feel kind of trapped where the outdoor mall is just a lot better experience, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and, and there's things to do there. And I remember at Christmas time in UTC, like, wow, they had snow coming down. I mean, it, you do things to make an experience, and people will come, and, oh, by the way, oh, what's that in the window? Well, let's go check it out, you know? So you've got to draw people there, and people will buy when they see things. so I think retail, again, it's here to stay, but it's just a shifting experience. Yep, yep. So. That, that, that's one thing great about life. It never... Never stays the same. It keeps changing. Sometimes yeah. for the good, sometimes not for the good. And I know, uh, uh, yeah, I know John's sitting there patient. Yes. So we appreciate that. But I did just have to talk about home builder sentiment real quick. Just another right. fantastic economic number. I mean, just phenomenal here. If you look at the sentiment again for July, it hit a pre-pandemic high of 72. It was 14 points higher than last month. And get this, well off the low in April of 30. So we've more than doubled yeah. home builder sentiment. And I mean, it is just... I think a phenomenal time to be looking at home builders because there's so much demand, not much existing supply. And again, home builders are, I think, the best way to get the supply out there. Yeah, I, and I agree totally. It's, it's one area that people don't kind of look at, and it's just uh, some phenomenal things going on there. And we do know, and I was listening, that there are more people that are shifting from the from the cities. They want to go to the suburbs. I mean, right now here in our market, just in San Diego, um, the real estate market, I believe, in a $2 million is on fire. Uh, because people want to buy those homes, and and uh, it, it's not just here in San Diego. I've heard it in New York. People are buying you know homes in Connecticut, leaving New York City. So there is a trend there on that. But the problem is, there's not enough homes. Well, who benefits? As you said, the home builders, and I and I think that's going to last for at least this year. I think it could be a couple of years. Yeah, yeah. I think people. I don't want to get locked down again. <laughs> <laughs> well, the craziness I'm talking about. Be, oh yeah. Of yeah, yeah. So, but all right. Uh, let's go ahead and open the phone lines now. Phone numbers here. You want to join the show? You got a question on a company that you own? We call them companies, equities, stocks. Uh, we have other general investment questions you want to discuss. You're not sure of uh, some answers. Uh, I've been in this for over 40 years now. Uh, give us a call here at the show. Eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three again that's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three and chase i usually tell people they can send us an email i didn't get a chance uh, to check the email yesterday before so i don't know if anybody sent us emails but if they did we'll go do them next week because some people don't want to come on air and but they have the questions so again you can send us an email at our website smartinvesting2000.com again that's smartinvesting2000.com we'll pull that email out and we'll read it for you. You kind of, I think you're looking right now. So yeah, I, okay. I don't see anything, unfortunately. Okay. But yeah, all right. well, we do have people. All right, the phone number is 833-288-0973. Let's head out to San Diego and speak with John. John, you're in the Smart Vessel. Brent and Chase, how can we help you? Gentlemen, good morning. Uh, very satisfied client. You guys are doing a great job for me. But I do a little side action. And sure. uh, I'm look, I've got some uh, CVX, some Chevron. Mm-hmm. I've I bought it uh, back in, um, well, uh, the end of March, so it was a good time. And I'm kind of wondering what I should do with it. Uh, what, I wanted to get your opinion on it. 
All right. Well, I, I think it's a, and we've kind of looked at Chevron ourselves. We kind of like the energy industry, and we've kind of bounced around with this a little bit. But uh, let's see, because I know it, it went up, and then it was overpriced, and then it went down. So let's see where we stand on Chevron. Their symbol is CVX. We do have a P.E. ratio, which is good now, because it used to be energy companies did not have any earnings, so no P.E. ratio. But it is high. It's 432 the industry does not have a P.E. ratio. Price of sales looks expensive, though. It's 1.2. The industry is only 0.3. Price to book value, 1.17 versus the industry at 0.17. And price of cash flow, 4.9 versus 0.75. And some of these valuation ratios look a little bit high because the industry, there's there are some problems there in the industry of companies that, again, a price attained book value of 17 cents. That is just way too low. There's some companies that are way below that. So I'm okay in this circumstance with uh, Chevron being 1.17. What I do like is a nice dividend of 5.92%, but you have a dividend payout ratio of 235%. Now, what you have to understand here is cash flow. Where are they going to go? Why are those earnings too low? Because based on those numbers, uh, 200 or virtually two times what you're paying for the dividend cannot be sustained. Either they have to cut that dividend or their earnings have to come up. I'm afraid if they cut that dividend, the stock would falter. So I think they're trying to hold off on that. Look at the sales year over year. They're down 14.2% uh, versus the industry down 15.8. So that's a positive. Earnings per share were down 72% when the industry was up 66. So you want to find out why did Chevron go down 72%? They have some write-offs. What happened there? What I love about Chevron is their balance sheet. Current ratio of one, that's the same as the industry. But their debt to equity is only 23 the industry is not too bad. It's at 49. Uh, return on equity is 2.6 for Chevron versus a negative 5 for the industry. Net profit margin, a positive 2.8 for Chevron. Industry is still as a negative 11.2. And receivable turnover, 11 versus 6.6. Inventory turnover, 11.4 versus 37.3. Chase, what about the earnings going forward? Yeah, so looking at the current price here for Chevron, $87.19, 52-week high, $127, and then that 52-week low, $51.60. And I know when it got down in the 50s, we're like, oh, we want to buy yeah, it. We we're thinking about it. Didn't have any available cash at that time. I uh, looked at some other areas, but gosh, I, I, I like Chevron. But the thing is, I look forward to December 2021. I, I see estimated earnings per share on a gap basis, $1.96. I would give us a target sell price of $31.75. And as I mentioned, John, I like Chevron. I think it's the best in class when it comes to this kind of energy market. Uh, we, we've held it in the past, done quite well with it. Great business. Uh, I know that other competitors, I think, are going to struggle, but I think they will be okay. Problem is, we always stick to the valuations, and we just can't justify buying Chevron at these prices. Now, Chase, one thing we can do here with, with Chevron, and again, you might have to be patient here, John, because going out to December 22, which we normally don't go out that that long, as I do see the earnings seem to get back to normal at five dollars and thirty cents. And when I, I see a range there too, because actually for 2021, somebody thinks Chevron's going to lose 240. But the range on December 2022, the lowest three dollars and thirty cents, the high seven eighty five gives you a mean estimate for December 2022, which is about six months away. We'll start looking at that one, uh, 530. Does that give you a good, a, a good price or probably a sell? Uh, still a sell, 85, 86. So okay. I, I, I just, the, the energy market is just so strange right now. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it's tough to tell. And I mean, you look at the valuations on the assets and so forth, and it looks quite good. But the problem is if the assets can't produce oil at a more efficient level, 
those assets aren't really worth what they used to be because they're not producing the same amount of value. Right. So that's the kind of issue with looking at the book value, I think, of these companies. And it's hard to kind of predict out what is going to happen with the oil industry. And, you know, again, we, we stick to the numbers. And as much as I like Chevron, it's, it's just mm-hmm. a little expensive. And, and we do realize that, uh, John, with Chevron, they do have uh, a refiner. Uh, they have the stores. But it just worries us, especially at, at this time. And we are very cautious right now. And we, we just... Last we had to sell a company because it hit a target sell price. We just don't want to get cute during these time frames. Oh, but it's this and it's that and so forth. If it's above this target sell price and maybe we sell too early, uh, that's okay. I'd rather sell too early than have something crazy happen because we know we're in crazy times. You've got to be careful, I'd say, at least in the next six months or so. All right, John? All right, thanks. Appreciate your help. All right, thanks for calling. You have a good one. Bye-bye. All right, that does open the phone line, 833 833- Two eight eight zero nine seven three. Again, that's eight three three two eight eight zero nine seven three. Let's go out to San Diego and speak with Tim. Tim, you're in the Smart Vegetable, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hi, I uh, recently bought into a stock, uh, Alibaba, B A B A, and I was just wondering what your guys' evaluation of that stock is long term, okay. and also secondly what you guys think about the gold market right now since uh, is inflation bound to happen with how we're printing money right now and just okay. handing it out. Let, let's take the uh, – you want to take the gold first, Chase? We'll talk about the gold. Yeah, let's talk about gold first. Yeah, because we, we had gold in the portfolio. We use as a hedge, not as an investment. That's a big difference is a hedge is you, you want to protect on the downside. Now, I hear what you're saying about the inflation, the printing of the money. Um, that could happen, but we just don't see, and I'm kind of speaking for you now, Jason, put your own words in there. <laughs> I just don't see gold going up dramatically because it, 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 I just don't see inflation coming yet. I, I think we'd have at least maybe another year before the big inflation comes. Chase? Yeah, I'd, I'd agree. I mean, as you kind of mentioned there, Tim, there, there is a lot of money out there with the stimulus checks and the unemployment on, you know, extreme levels. Um, I think that's going to carry us through. And I think there is going to be a lot of money in the economy. But the problem is if we do see continued unemployment, I, I think you, you could see that lack of inflation, as you mentioned, for a, at least another couple of years. Um, the thing I look at with gold is it's very hard. I mean, it, it's supposedly supposed to be a great hedge against inflation. We were quite disappointed with it when we held it. I mean, we did okay with it at the beginning of the year, but it just it didn't hold up the same as we thought it would. And at the end of the day, we always say gold is just a piece of metal. It's very, very hard to value. I mean, we like to look at the earnings of the company. If you have, you know, rental properties, you can value, well, what is the rent? If you have a bond, you can look at the income payments. With gold, you just have a piece of metal. So it's very, very difficult to value that. That's one thing we're always very cautious on. And speaking about an inflation hedge, that's one thing we love about businesses. Inflation is, again, of course, the rising cost of goods and services. Well, who benefits from that? Companies. So equities are a great long-term hedge against inflation. And I did just look at the gold. It closed at, uh, what, eighteen twelve on Friday. And I think it's a, a little bit above what we sold it at, but uh, we're okay with that. And, again, I think it's going to be some time. There's a lot of cash on the sidelines. But keep in mind that uh, you know inflation is caused by too much money chasing too few goods. I, I just don't see that yet, but um, so we took it off the hedge. But let's talk about uh, Alibaba, and as you said you did have it uh, in your portfolio. Are you up? You down? What do you stand there? Uh, oh, Tim, we're up. We bought it a couple months ago at about two hundred. Good. Okay. Well, let, let's take a look at the numbers on Alibaba Group Holdings Limited, symbol B A B A. Not a bad start here because you got a PE ratio of thirty point seven. 
Uh, that's well below the industry at 110. We do see sales are up, though, uh, what, gosh, 7.17, what you're paying for the sales. That's way above the industry at 2.5. I don't like seeing that. But then price to tangible book value looks good, 11, about half the industry at 21. And then price to cash flow checks in at 26 versus 27. They do not pay a dividend. Their sales looking very good year over year, up 35%, uh, well above the industry growth at 9%. And earnings per share grew by 68% year over year, which is phenomenal, especially when I see the industry down. 29%. The balance sheet looks pretty good. Current ratio 1.9. That's above the industry at 1.2. Debt to equity is only 16 versus 80. So a nice clean balance sheet there. Return on equity 24 versus 13. Net profit margin for Alibaba 29 versus 2.3. That's very good. And unfortunately, I see no receivable and no inventory turnover, which I don't know why I would not see that. So that worries me a little bit but uh what do you got the numbers going for jason yeah unfortunately here uh as we know alibaba is a chinese company uh they do have the adr here under baba uh, baba but when i look at the prices here on reuters uh i get everything in yuan so uh, i'm gonna have to quote it in yuan but it'll give just you ca a, just calculate the currency yeah. exchange in your head <laughs> exactly <there. laughs> but i mean i'll give Let you me an idea grab of the currency calculator real quick yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give you an idea of you know where things kind of stand, at least relative uh, to the valuation. So current price here is 1,727.81 won, 52-week high 1,873.64 won, and then the 52-week low was 1,061.61 won. Also, the thing about Chinese won is it's a lot more, so it's 1,000. <laughs> I'm getting a little tired. But anyways, uh, looking forward to March 2022, I see estimated earnings per share on a gap basis, 54. 5.54 won that would give us a target sell price of 899.75 won so it is expensive and i know a lot of people have bought it because oh it's supposed to be like amazon and i think that's the allure to it i, I do think the ceo uh jack ma i believe his name is yeah. i think he's quite intriguing i think he's a, a very intelligent man obviously but i still just have my concerns about china i i mean we've talked about you know luck and coffee and I, mm -hmm. I don't think jack ma would do this i think he's a better businessman than that but you know they were kind of fudging the numbers there and they they weren't really very transparent and that's the thing with chinese companies they don't have to hold up the same accounting standards that we do here in the united states you could be blindsided down the road and there's also been the talks about the usd listing these chinese companies yeah and i was going to bring that up because also too you know we don't think that they would do this on alibaba but and again tensions right now with the u.s and china are not good they're, they're getting worse and the sec and people don't know this but they china does not let them come in and look at their books so we don't know if these numbers are true or not every other u.s company you know that those numbers are, are they're not backed by the SEC, but the SEC says, yes, they're putting the right things there. With Chinese companies, they're not doing that. The Chinese government says, no, you cannot come in and look at our company books, which worries me. Is there problems there? Are they fudging the numbers? Is the government giving them money, not telling anybody? Um, this could be a major problem down the road. And if they do talk, as Chase says, they, they do look at delisting these Chinese companies. Uh, I don't know what would happen to the Alibabas. I, I, I know it wouldn't be good. But I, I, I would not hold a Chinese company. I mean, I'm guessing what would happen is you would have to probably convert your shares to the Chinese listed. I think they're listed on Hong Kong as well. But you'd probably have to convert your shares over to that exchange, and then yeah. you have the currency fluctuation. I mean, this is kind of just some things we think about here, Tim. Um, and I think the company, I mean, the stock it could go higher. I think it's a very, very high risk, though, is, is what we would we'd say about it. Yeah, just, and we don't really follow these, but I do see the recommendation by analysts. 28 say buy, 23 say outperform. Are they not looking what's going on with the 
U.S. and Chinese relationships and the SEC. I I, I don't know. Um, it's it's a it's a high flying company. It's got a lot of potential, but keep in mind there are some major waves coming along that could really disrupt uh, disrupt the uh, growth. Already. Thank you very much. Have a great day, guys. All right, Tim. Thanks for calling. Bye bye. Uh, kind of a long answer there, but I just was so I thought it was so important to get that out there. And, and we want investors to know the details of what's going on behind the scenes. So our biggest concern, and that's why the show is called Smart Investing, is to really understand what's going on, not be blindsided. That's why people say stocks are so risky, because they don't understand. So we're trying to put out things that you would not maybe think about that could blow up on you down the road. And, and I did the same thing in the tech boom and bust. I was called like, oh, you're so stupid, you don't understand this. And it's like, well, no, I don't understand this. And sure enough, things blew up because the accounting did not make sense. And it just, that's why we, we do the Smart Investing Show. Yeah, and it, it all comes back to the numbers and the fundamentals. And people say, oh, fundamentals don't work. And, and they don't work every second of every day, but they work over the long term. Right. And I'd rather be wrong, again, for the right reasons than right for the wrong reasons, because that's where you get stuck into this trap and then you, you buy something that makes no sense, and you lose big time. And that's yeah. why sticking to the fundamentals, you're, you're going to make safe, smart choices and allow your money to compound for you over the long term. And, and Chase, I saw on uh, TV, I think a week or two ago maybe, uh, this this uh, guy that's uh, one of the pundits there, and he, and he had it in front of him. He goes, here's an income statement. Here's a balance sheet. And he tear them in half. And he goes, they don't matter anymore. I was like, oh. We're in trouble. <laughs> Yikes. That, that is that is some dangerous words right there. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I guess at that point, why don't you just buy Hertz, right? I mean, we talked about that several weeks ago, but yeah. if the income balance sheet don't matter, then why don't I buy a bankrupt company? I, it's just, I mean, I'm going to say it's idiotic. Right. I mean, if you owned a business, wouldn't you care about the sales and the earnings? Yeah. Well, that's what a stock is. <laughs> that's a small piece of a large company. And to say that the balance sheet and income statement doesn't matter, that that's what scares me about the current market. Yeah, and, and, and everything does come back to the mean. And what he was kind of saying is that, um, uh, you, you know, you don't worry about that. You know, look at the stock price. I think he was talking about Peloton. He was talking about uh, some of the other high Zoom and stuff. And it's like, uh, I don't think either one of them are making money. I'm not sure. Maybe somebody will call in and ask about them. But um, that's what he said. It doesn't matter. Look at the stock price. What's going on? You know, what are they doing? Oh, they got all this growth and so forth. Well, one thing I was thinking, too, is that I don't know when we're going to be back open fully. I mean, the gyms are open here in California, and then it'll close again. But that's not true across the country. Um, is that eventually people are going to say, I want to go back to the gym. We've got a vaccine now. Everything is safe. Everything's okay. I miss my friends at the gym. I'm going to go back. Oh, that order on Peloton I had is going to take nine months. I'm just going to cancel that. I don't want that. So th that could happen down the road. I mean, as you said, it's just really building a house of cards. It's all this like concept and this trend. And what happens when the trend disappears, you think you can get out beforehand. Mm -hmm. But then there's also a lot of people that think that they can get out beforehand. So then they start taking that profits and then the stock just drops like a rock. Right. And it's all of a sudden you're down 10%. Ah, it'll come back. Oh, it's down 15%. Ah, it'll come back. And then you're playing this game in your head. And it doesn't work out for you very well. Yep. And and actually, I love when people say you're watching. I go, well, what are you watching? Well, you, you know, the stock price I've been seeing going up and so forth. Uh, that is the most dangerous thing. You're not watching anything. And and this is where if you haven't been to our workshops, you haven't seen our webinar now, which we'll have another one coming up next month, we have a perfect slide in there called the 19 Thoughts of Trading. And if you think you're watching your company because you're watching the stock price, you, you, you're not watching anything. You're just seeing the results of what could happen, not what's going to happen. So be careful of that. All right, phone number is 833-288-0973. Again, that's 833-288-0973.
Let's go to San Diego and speak with Wayne. Wayne, you're in the Smart Special, Brent Chase. How can we help you? One gentleman, like your opinion on Valero, symbol VLO, please. Okay, do you hold that or looking to buy that? Looking to buy it. Okay. All right, so let's take a look at Valero uh, Energy Corporation, symbol is VLO. Uh, we do have earnings. we got a P-E ratio of 56.4 versus the industry at not material. Price to sales looks good, 0.2 versus 1.06. Price to tangible book value is 1.2, just slightly above the industry at 0.9. And price to cash flow 7.2 compared with industry at 2.6. Now, you do get a nice dividend here of 7.1%, but they do use 359% of the earnings to pay that out. So you really have to understand what went on in the past 12 months and what's going to go on over the next 12 months. Can they sustain that dividend? We do see sales were down 7.6%, worse than industry down 1.8. Earnings per share year over year for the last 12 months fell by 85%, but the industry was down 312%. Uh, Valero does have a nice balance sheet. They got a current ratio of 1.3, same as the industry. Debt to equity is 61. That is less than the industry at 83, and that's a big positive. Return to equity is a positive 2.1 versus a negative 19.7 for the industry. Net profit margin for Valero is only 0.8, but the industry shows a negative profit margin of 27%. Receivable turnover is 24 versus 6.7. That's good. Sold inventory turnover 19.9 versus 10.2. Chase, what about the earnings going forward? Yeah, so current price here for Valero, $55.47. 52-week high, $101.99. Of course, not a great time to be an oil refiner because uh, gasoline wasn't a hot ticket uh, for a couple months there. Uh, especially with uh, airplanes not really being on that same schedule. So that yep. really kind of hurt that, that diesel and, and jet fuel market. But I will say the 52-week low is $31, so it has risen off that level as well. Now, unfortunately, Wayne, if I look out to December 2021, I'm going to look at earnings per share on a pre-exempt basis. Rather than the gap basis, to kind of get into it for you, we look at the pre-exempt versus gap years because they have to do what's known as mark-to-market. So rather than having a cash flow outlay of you know paying for that they have to mark down the oil on their balance sheet that's held in inventory and that hurts their earnings so we like to look at the non-gap numbers because that's not really hurting their cash flow but if i look at the non-gap numbers here for 2021 we get three dollars and 38 cents if i take our 16.2 multiple for that we get a target sell price of 54.76 so unfortunately that's below the current price but as we kind of do with the chevron if i look out to 2022 because we will be looking at that somewhat shortly it increases substantially to $101.41. So, I mean, things are kind of difficult to evaluate at this time. I, I continue to like Valero here. I think they pay a nice dividend. I don't think it's going to be at too much jeopardy. They might have to cut it a little bit depending on how the quarter goes. But we have seen an increase in driving, which is an increase in gasoline. So I, this is one I really want to see this next quarterly statement, this next quarterly report to see what's going on with the business. Yeah, and when you really got to understand this business here because it, it, it is in the sale category, but yet you got to understand what talk, what, what's going on. Again, Chase talked about the inventories and mark-to-market and so forth. Um, also, too, I think the analysts, I mean, they're all over the board. Right? Looking at the estimate for uh, the pre-exempt here, uh, gosh, they were a low of $0.06 cents and a high of 568 And the same thing for uh, the gap, uh, a low of $0.15, cents, a high of 568 What this tells you also is that the analysts, there's not really a good number. Nobody really knows what's going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> and so we kind of uh, put our little own interpretation into it. It's like, let's be a little bit patient here. Now, if it was like 70 or 80 we'd say, no, it's, it's definitely a sell. 
But we've got about six more months, not even, what, five more months until we have uh, December 31st. Uh, we're going to see more numbers come on. We're going to start looking more at December, I'm sorry, at the year 2021. So be a little bit patient with this one. Uh, I think you said you didn't own it. You think about buying it. Is that correct? Right. Yeah. I don't think I'd buy at this level. Um, but if there's yeah. a pullback, and again, we could have, I mean, you know, sometimes in uh, August, September, you get this crazy time frame and this big pullback. If you saw Valero pull back to maybe below 50, maybe that time that would be a time to jump in. Yeah. I mean, kind of speaking of that, I think right now is a great time to be patient. I mean, uh, we kind of talked a little bit about China relationships. Um, obviously, sure. COVID's in the news, but kind of people, I think, forgot about China. I mean, that is still something that I think could kind of blindside some people. And oh, by the way, there's this little thing called the election coming up oh. in November. Oh, yeah. I forgot <laughs> so, about that one. <laughs> so we're, we're, we're being patient that. looking for things. Yeah. You, you know, don't feel like the need, like you have to get in anything right now. We know things are going to move up and down, but Valero might be one to watch here in the short term. Yeah. And, okay. and we'll give a question about the S&P sure. 500. Yeah, sure. Go ahead. Uh, do you think uh, because of so many people, you know, people have 401ks and they have limited choices that the S&P 500 may be a way for them to buy stocks versus a quote unquote a mutual fund? And they put their money there, and that's caused the cash inflow to the S&P 500. I mean, I, I think a lot of the reason that, that we've seen it is because it's such an easy way and it's kind of been, you know, the, the way to do it at a low expense. And people don't think about, well, how investing actually works. They just look at the expenses. And, and I think that's a completely wrong way to go about investing. I, I do think that actually mutual funds are better than the S&P 500 if you choose the right one. And people, oh, but the mutual fund expense is, you know, 0.7% versus 0.1%. Yeah. Well, think about that. That means the mutual fund just has to do... 0.6% better than the S&P 500. It's really not that big of a change. Um, so I, I think the big reason is not the fact that people, oh, I think it's a great way to buy stocks and avoid mutual funds. I think it's just been kind of praised as a, a yeah. low-cost way to get into investing, but people haven't looked at it. And I know Brent always talks about it. <laughs> We've seen uh, index investing hot many, many times. Yeah, three three times, and this is uh, the fourth time now. So and the other thing, too, we're not big advocates of mutual funds, but in the 401k uh, they do make sense because of the fact you've got so many different people. We've got some companies uh, that we do the 401ks for them. We did put for some of those people the, for the uh, mutual funds in there, but we chose good mutual funds. Uh, but, but I do have to agree with you. I mean, I think part of the reason for the in increase in the S&P 500 is that it keeps going up. And then people in the 401k is like, well, okay, well, I guess I'll do it. It's going up. You know, and they just look at, I remember those graphs when you see them, like, well, over the last 10 years, it's done this. Uh, so that's the best one. So that's how they choose their, their retirement plan. So I, I, I agree with that, Wayne. All right. Okay. Thank you for your help, gentlemen. All right. Thanks for calling. You have a good one. Bye-bye. Yeah, just a little advice for people that have 401ks. That is not the way to choose the mutual fund is <laughs> yes. by looking at the 10-year return because what happens is as things get more and more expensive, their 10-year returns look better and better. So you could be essentially buying high and selling low if you're getting out of ones that haven't performed as well. And I'm not saying look at the ones that haven't performed as well because you might wind up in cash or bonds or something. You know, <laughs> Look at, again, what is in the mutual fund? What does it hold? What is their philosophy? That's how you choose the mutual funds, not based off the 10-year return because things can be hot for five years, let's say, and all of a sudden their 10-year return looks great because they had a great run over the last few years. So it's very, very... It's very, very good note of caution, I guess, is what I would say. And, and, and Chase, we'll just kind of talk about because we do have companies that we actually do the 401ks for them. And that's the the benefit of using our firm, Wilson Asset Management, is because we actually explain that to the people. We actually do the research. We tell them why we're doing it. We have seen some terrible things where, you know, we go in there and, oh, my gosh, you know, 
doing what Chase talks about. They're just buying the, these things and nobody's giving any guidance. So uh, the people that we have for 401ks, are, they're, they're very happy. Doesn't mean we make money all the time. Obviously, that's never going to happen in investing, but they understand what they're doing, why they're investing. Uh, we do go see our, our businesses twice a year, although we didn't do it this year because of COVID. Yeah. <laughs> but but that, that, that's how we do it. Because we want to go out every six months and actually talk to the employees and explain to them and the employer what we're doing so they understand. And it keeps people in check because I know when the, the S&P does falter, and it will. You know, the funny thing too, Chase, is that the average return over 20 years to S&P, people don't realize it's only 5.6%. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, when things like that start happening, people are like, oh, that, this is terrible. They're going to make the wrong decision, not an investment decision, but an emotional decision. You know why the uh, return is only 5.6%? I don't know off the top of my head. I, I know because you Because think yeah. about 2000, you're comparing to when the S&P 500 was extremely tech heavy during mm -hmm. the tech boom. And then when it faltered during the tech bust, the S&P 500 did not do well because the same thing happened like it's happening now. Tech became over-concentrated. So right. you had a high peak in 2000, and it took a while to get back to that, that, that peak because tech was so beat up during the tech bust. So it was a high comparison. It was a, a very high peak, went down to a low valley. That's, again, what I'm very, very worried about is the S&P is starting to become very tech-heavy. Tech heavy. And yep. if tech falters, the S&P 500 is going to struggle immensely. Yep. And you get your best returns, 10-year, uh, 20-year returns, when you're going from a very low base, not a high base like the tech boom was. So yep. I understand the numbers. That's what we do here at Smart Investing. All right. Uh, let's go out to or up to Escondido and speak with Paul. Paul, you're in the Smart Investor, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Uh, good morning. Just a quick quick. Uh, I think CNBC says that uh, Buffett made $50 billion on his Apple investment for March. I think I saw so that too, that yes. Put him again, that, put him, that put him above uh, uh, Musk, I guess. Anyway, yes. but yeah. uh, I, I was interested in asking you about uh, that great old company, Wells Fargo. Yes. Do you, do you hold that hey. or are you looking to buy that? Well, <laughs> I'm possibly looking to buy it. Everybody hates it. Uh, it's a terrible institution, so maybe it's time to buy it. Okay. Well, we've talked about the banks before. Actually, I do a segment on KSI every other Sunday morning uh, around 840, and I'll be talking about why the banks are not weak, and people think they are. So we're going to go over more of the accounting and, and, and talk more about that. today. What is we'll, that? What is uh, that on again, please? It's on a KSI News, and it's uh, my segments are usually around 840, so I tell people probably turn on 835. You know, they can kind of flow. So 835 to 845, and you'll, you'll see me in, in uh, talking about the banks. And also, if you miss it, uh, we do post it on our Smart Investing page with uh, Brent and Chase. We'll see. Yep. Yep. Sorry. Okay. Thank you. All right. So, so let's go with the numbers of Wells Fargo here. We, we know there were some changes, which we'll talk about uh, as we, we go through here. Coming again, Wells Fargo, symbol WFC, uh, P.E. ratio 28.5 versus 8.7. And these are for the period ending June 30th, 2020. We do see price of sales looks good. 1.3 below the industry at 1.8. Price of tangible book value, very important for a bank, 0.7 versus 1.1. And you like to see that low number. And then price of cash flow, 8.2, half the industry at 15.9. Now, it shows an 8.2% dividend. Uh, we do see that they use 164% to pay out that dividend, but we know that dividend is going to be cut because of the new rules. I think is what, uh, they're going to 10 cents a quarter? Yeah, 40 yeah. cents. So 40, the yeah. yields yields are a lot lower than eight. Yeah. Uh, we do see that the uh, sales year-over-year year were down 12.9%, industry up 2.4%. Earnings per share fell by 82%, uh, 
when the industry was down 12.6. Look at the balance sheet, uh, no current ratio. This is a bank accounting, uh, but debt equity 162, about half the industry at 315, so that's a positive. Return on equity is 2.4 versus 9.7. Net profit margin is, what do you go, 7.7, about a third of the industry at 21. Chase, tell us about the earnings going forward. Yeah, so current price here for Wells Fargo, $24.95. 52-week high, $54.75. As you said, it is kind of beat up and hated at this time. But, hey, sometimes those beat-up companies make the great investments. 52-week low, $22 a share. Now, if we got to December 2021, I see estimated earnings per share on a gap basis, $1.96. Target sell price would be $31.75. So I like it based off the forward valuation there. I was a little bit disappointed when they cut the dividend that mm -hmm. much. I, I knew they were going to cut the dividend. I didn't anticipate that large of a cut. But the big thing I'm looking at, again, we're, we're long-term investors. We're looking at, you know, are you going to hold this company for several years? You're not holding it just for this year. What could happen is they reinstate that dividend maybe next year, the following year. Now, all of a sudden, you're getting an 8% dividend based off your initial cost basis. I mean, that's just fantastic to look at it that way. And actually, Morgan Stanley, they reported earnings recently. Their CEO came out and said, I believe we will be able to increase the dividend to share buybacks next year. Wells Fargo may be on a little bit different of a path, but the big thing I took away from that is banks are feeling quite strong. Right. And, and also, too, that they, they have a new management team, a new CEO at Wells Fargo. Uh, the government is still has them under their thumb, which I think they will release as they watch the new CEO come through. And again, we're looking at not, you know, the next two, three, four or five months. But where will this business be in December 22, 23? And keep in mind, the market is forward looking. So when we're looking at uh, this year, January, December 31st, we're looking at the end of the year, midway through. Uh, I think you're going to see some things change. Uh, I won't go too much into the accounting of it, but but keep in mind when a company like a bank writes down those loans, they're very conservative. They always go overboard. Same thing happened in 2008. And then as people start making those payments on those loans, they become good loans again and become income. takes time for that to happen, but if you understand accounting, it will happen. All right? Okay. I'll put my buy order in at 22. We well, I don't know. I think to, I I hope you get it, but I w I wouldn't count on that one. <laughs> and actually, I think it was on Thursday. Somebody just upgraded the the uh, Wells Fargo, yeah. so you may get it, but that that that'd be a very unlikely situation. All right, Paul. Thanks for thanks for your time. Okay, thanks for calling. Bye bye. Uh, we got time for one more, Chase. I think we do, right? We got yeah, no, we got we got six yeah, yeah. So let, let's go out uh, up to Temecula and speak with John. A lot of Johns today. I know. Uh, good morning, John. You're on the Smart Invest Show, Brent Chase. How can we help you? Hey, good morning, guys. Uh, hey, I'm looking at uh, Biogen, B-I-I-B. Uh, -I -I um, you know, I contemplated my navel a little bit when it dropped below 260, and now it's up to 280. And I just took a small position, but I still think it's undervalued. And just kind of getting your, your guys' thoughts on it. Okay. This is one company we've always kind of had our eye on. We've kind of liked it on different things. We've never had the chance to buy it yet, so I'm kind of excited to look at it here. Coming again is Biogen uh, Incorporated. Uh, you almost said Biogen IDEC. That's no longer. Uh, <laughs> Symbol is BIIB. Uh, we do see a P ratio 8.7 versus not material for the industry. We have price to sales 3.2 versus 10.1. Price to book value 13.7 versus 13.6. And price to cash flow is 7.2 versus not material for the industry. They do not pay a dividend. Uh, their sales year over year did climb by 4.4%, about half the industry at 10.6. Earnings per share for Biogen, however, were up by 39% when the industry fell 50.6. So that's a big positive there. 
Balance sheet looks very attractive. Current ratio, 1.7. About half the units at 3.8, but I'm okay with that. Uh, debt to equity is 48 versus 49. Return on equity for Biogen is 44.6 versus a negative 18.5 for the industry. So that's a pretty big number there that we like seeing. Uh, net profit margin, wow, 41.2 versus a negative 25. Receivable turnover is 5.5 versus 4.9. And inventory turnover, 2.2. Same as the industry at 2.21. Chase, going to come out of the numbers here. What do you got over there? Yeah, so let's take a look here. Current price, $281.88. Uh, still off that 52-week high of $374.99. And 52-week low, $215.78. If I look out to December 2021, I see estimated earnings per share on a gap basis, $29.36. Gives the target sell price of $475.63. So I like it based off these valuations. I like the balance sheet here. One thing I, I, I am concerned about is I know they have the Alzheimer's uh, treatment. Right. And it took a big hit when all of a sudden there was some concerns over it. Now there's some potential that it might be back. I think it, it could trade based off that news. It could pop. It could fall again. But the thing I would want to look at at this company is what are the other drugs in the pipeline? Because the thing I like about it is they do have other drugs yes. that they do sell, where it's not you know uh, one of these companies that is writing everything on one drug, and if you lose out, you could actually lose big time on the stock. This one, it might be volatile if things don't go well with the Alzheimer's treatment, but there's still some other potential with other drugs in the pipeline. Yeah, and, and John, it's so important, as Chase and I are talking about here, if you're going to invest in this company, understand the pipeline, understand the drugs, because, I mean, we kind of like what we see here. It looks pretty attractive. But you don't want to open the, 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 the can there and find like, oh, as Chase said, there's some issues there. You've got to understand more about it before you get into it because, yes, our numbers look great. But, again, these are numbers many times based on past, based on analyst estimates. You've got to understand what you're getting into. And also understand the patent expir expiration. Oh, yeah. How When are those coming due? Because a company's cash flow could fall off a cliff if one of those patents expire and they have too much uh, revenue concentrated in one drug. And I know you pointed out the good thing is the, the low is 215, the high 374. So you're getting a, almost in the middle of stock price. So that's a positive. I think it's worth the research to look more into this company because it has the potential. But if you just jump in and buy it now, you may miss something. So, But we, we like it. How's that, John? Yeah, great. And uh, yeah, that Alzheimer's, they've got another one working right now. And, and so I think that's going to hopefully cover cover the base there. But that's what I'm concerned about is kind of what, what is in the pipeline. Other than that, it looks great. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we, we, we like it. Worth the research. How's that? Yeah. Thanks. Thanks for calling, John. Have a good one. Bye-bye. All right. I'd say that opens the phone line, but we're just about out of time. And, and Chase, so nice when you find a company like Biogen. Uh, but again, before we buy any company, we tell people it's 10, 15, 20 hours of research. We really understand that business. So make sure when you when we say things like that, uh, we we like it. You do your own research to make sure it's a good. Okay, today was a good show to listen to because most of the time I feel like lately, ah, it's a sell. No, I'm not interested. Man, we had a couple buys today based off the valuations. Well, we had uh, Biogen. What was the other one? Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo. That's right. And and actually, Valero's not a, a buy, but it's like a, it's intriguing. Drop. Yeah. Intriguing. There we go. Well, there's a closing bell. Thank you for listening to Smart Investing Show. It is for informational purposes only and should be not used as investment advice. If you'd like to discuss in more detail uh, your investment needs or for myself or, you know, call myself or Brent or, or Chase. Gosh, I'm having a hard time today. 858-546-4306. That's 858-546-4306. You can also visit our website, smartinvesting2000.com. 
That's smartinvesting2000.com. The show is sponsored in part by Thomson Reuters and the closing song, uh, Frank Sinatra, uh, My Ways, performed by Roman Palacios. Have a great day. We'll talk more next week right here on the Smart Investing Show. I did all that. And may I say, not in a shop. This program is sponsored and produced by Wilsey Asset Management. Opinions and offers expressed during this program are not those of Intercom Communications or 97.3 The Fan. KWFN FM and KWFN HD1 San Diego, a radio.com sports station. Hey, this is Will Myers from the San Diego Padres. The Padres play here. Car rushed. That's better, Will. On San Diego's number one sports station, 97.3 The Fan.